In just a second, I want to get into uh, the sermon and keep talking about what we have been here for the last uh, few weeks. Um, but first, I do want to just take a minute uh, to start uh, by just kind of addressing what's going on in uh, Ukraine right now, um, something we have maybe all been following to different uh, degrees for the last week. Um, and, uh, you know, lots of emotions, probably, for those of you who have been really tuned in, or maybe not even that much, you're just kind of following it very kind of, uh, you know, peripherally, but you're, you're finding yourself kind of feeling things that you maybe haven't felt, felt before. Um, it could be, you know, despair about, you know, like what this says about the world, like where this could spiral out of. Like this is obviously a really momentous uh, 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 time in history. Um, it, c- it could be joy or inspiration, excitement about kind of what we're, you know, you're seeing out of Ukraine in some ways, maybe inspiration from uh, the people there and how they've kind of remained resilient and, and faithful. Uh, whatever it is, like a lot of, a lot of things could be, could be included in that. Uh, one of the things I wanted us to do as a church, though, and just kind of lead us in this this morning real quickly, is uh, talk, you know, lament it. Um, I think it's good for us to, uh, as, as Christians, to lament stuff like this, um, because I think lament is a language that God gives us for moments like this. And so I think it matters for us as a church, as a body, to kind of lament uh, that things like this, you know, still, still happen in the world. Um, this is, uh, you know, the largest... Uh, clash of forces, at least in Europe, maybe in the whole world, like, I, I'm not totally sure, but since World War II, and it's kind of a sobering reminder that we still live in a world where stuff like this is possible, and I think we should lament that. Like, I think we should acknowledge that um, and, and just understand that, like, yeah, th- th- that's not okay, and, and God calls us to respond in lament, and so... Um, I think it's good for us to, to have regular patterns of this because really lament is a part of the gospel itself, right? We like to focus on the parts of the gospel that are, are triumph, our salvation, rescue from things, right? Transformation. Um, but in order for us to celebrate those things, to celebrate the good news of the gospel, there has to be, you know, things we're lamenting, things that are bad news in the world, us. And if we don't stop to acknowledge those things, uh, a theologian named, named Soong Chan Ra says, um, when, we, when we don't lament, we're not speaking truth into a situation. And so I think it's worth it for us to just pause and do that first so that the gospel really does seem like good news for us. So today, I just want us to lament for a moment for and with the citizens of Ukraine, as well as people in Russia who are opposing this, which, you know, it's, it seems like there's actually quite a few people in Russia who are also are lamenting this going on. Um, so what I want to do is I want to read Psalm 5. It's a psalm of lament, um, and I've kind of modified it a little bit, so it's kind of a corporate prayer kind of on behalf of, of people who are, you know, in the middle of this situation. Listen to our words, Lord. Consider our lament. Hear cries for help, our King and our God. For to you we pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear our voice. In the morning, we lay our requests before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful, you, Lord, detest. But we, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, we bow down toward your holy temple. Lead us, Lord, in your righteousness because of enemies. Make your way straight before us and the people of Ukraine and Russia. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God, 
Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. All right, thanks. Thanks for doing that with me, you guys. Um, we're going to head into our sermon now, and we are uh, in a sermon series right now that we're calling He Refreshes My Soul. And uh, we've been talking about this idea of you know, being connected to the shepherd, of following after the shepherd. We've used Psalm 23 as kind of a launching uh, point for it. And we've talked about like when we're with the shepherd, we're whole. We are experiencing wholeness. That's what we're designed to be as people, as people who walk with God and find wholeness from that. And so we're, we're talking about what it looks like for us to experience that wholeness. Now, if you heard the first sermon, if you're here with us or you listen to it later on, um, we, we talked about how wholeness, we kind of use another word to describe it, and we took it from John 15, and we called, we used that, that word was abiding, or remaining in the vine. That's what Jesus talks about in, in John 15, is we're connected to this life-giving uh, root uh, of Jesus, and we ourselves abide, and we find wholeness in that. Now today I want us to really dig into that idea and ask, you know, what does it look like for us to abide in the vine? What does that even mean? Like I want us to actually to unpack that metaphor a little bit today. Because you might be su- su- surprised to know this, but like of all the ways that God is described in Scripture, and there's a lot of imagery that's used to describe who God is. Uh, in the Bible, things like shepherd, like you know we're, we're talking about in this series, um, rock or father, right? A lot of this type of imagery gets used to describe God. But one you might be a little surprised to hear is actually a pretty common one, is a gardener, right? So think overalls and a sun hat, you know, fighting away rabbits, getting his hands dirty in the soil to grow uh, fruit, vegetables, or flowers. Like, we should picture God like that. That's what Scripture is telling us, okay? And, and, and God is not, in those moments where he's describing himself or being described as a gardener, it's not so much like, a, like of the world, right, like of, of creation itself, although he is that too. Um, it's of people, taking care to water and prune and fertilize us. Like we are typically, or people are typically, the, the plant that God is gardening in those, in those images. Now, I know we have a lot of gardeners at Res City. Uh, I know a lot of people either have picked it up over the last couple of years or it's something you've always done. Uh, I know Zach, Zach was just up here on, on stage. He grows a lot of fun things, including some peppers, which one time actually, they're really hot peppers, and I got one in my eye once. And I cried for like 20 minutes, and Julie just laughed the whole time. Uh, it, so, yeah, I know people here, like, we, you know, we have a lot of excitement over that. I, I recently heard a new term, somebody at Res City described themselves as a plant mom, which I didn't, I never heard that term before. Um, but we have plant moms at Res City. Um, okay, so like, people who, who put a lot of work into growing a plant. So imagine you're a plant mom or a plant dad. Okay, and you have some plant that you're working to grow. You're putting a lot of work into it. You're reading all the plant mom blogs, and you're trying to figure out what's the best way to grow this thing, you know, nice and strong and healthy, and you're hoping it produces something. Now ask yourself, how would you know that that thing you're growing, whatever it is, is healthy? 
There's a lot of things you could look at, but I think one of the primary things, one of the most important things that you know it was healthy is because it is bearing fruit or flowers, whatever you know, type of thing is supposed to bud out of that, whatever you know, particular plant that is. Right? If nothing is growing, you know this thing is probably not healthy. It's probably not abiding richly in the soil or the roots that, that you know, are, are attached to that soil. And I think that's helpful for us as we ask the question, what does it mean for us as plants that God is gardening to be whole or healthy ourselves? Okay, kind of what this series is that we're talking about. What does it mean for us to be healthy? And I mean, there's lots of, you know, things we could use to describe that. And I think we kind of, you know, are trying to do that throughout the series. But, you know, vibrant and green, we might think like having mental or emotional health, right? Things like, you know, we are experiencing, uh, you know, not anxiety or hurry, some of the things that we've talked about here throughout uh, the series, right? But it's not just therapeutic, right? It's, you know, I think we can focus too much on that sometimes. The big idea that I want to talk about today is that Scripture is telling us that for us to be healthy, means for us to also be bearing fruit, right? That, that kind of traditional indicator that you would have of a plant to know that it is being healthy. Okay, so that's the big idea today. Wholeness includes fruit bearing. And I want to talk about what I mean by that, okay? So like, what does that mean? Like, what do I mean by fruit? What, you know, if we define it, you know, does it mean, you know, great victories for God? Does it mean results of some kind? Well, Paul in his letter to the Galatians writes uh, to not be led according to the flesh, but by the Spirit. And I think when he talks about that, for reasons that will become here, come clear here in just a second, he's talking about this idea of abiding in the vine. Being led by the Spirit is the same idea as being abiding in the vine itself. And he says that when we do this, a certain type of fruit grows. Okay, so Galatians 5, to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I want you to stop for just a second and think a little bit about what these fruit are. Like, what, what are these things, actually? Well, they're not like gifts or skills, necessarily. They're not actions, even though you might express them in certain actions. They're not rules or laws. They're not beliefs or thoughts. And they're not feelings. You can feel these things, but they're not, you know, really feelings. That's not the best way to think about what they are when you kind of reflect a little bit deeper on it. I would say the best way to understand what this fruit is, is character traits or virtues. Okay, I think that's the best sort of category to, to think about these things. Because think about it. A person doesn't do or believe patience, right? They are patient, Right? It's, something, it's a character trait of a person. They are a patient person. Right? You don't know self-control. It's not something you learn reading a book. Right? You are self-controlled. You, you, you exhibit self-control. A person doesn't feel faithfulness. Right? A person is faithful. They're not afraid of, of commitment. Right? They're, they're, they, in, fundamentally, in situations, they're not afraid of, of being faithful. To something. They, they're willing to throw themselves into it no matter what that looks like, okay? And so this is, I think, what, when we talk about fruit, we should start here. Fruit is shown in our character, okay? I think character really is the best language to describe this fruit, at least in my opinion. 
character is the way in to understand what Paul is talking about here. And so today I want us to talk about this. I really want us to unpack this idea of fruit being shown in our character and who we are. Now, one of my favorite books I've ever read on this subject is a book called After You Be- Believe by one of my favorite authors, authors, a guy named N.T. Wright, and he describes character like this. The pattern of thinking and acting which runs through someone so that whenever or wherever you cut into them, as it were, you see the same person through and through. Okay, so it's not just something you might see when you look at them on social media or like when they're, you know, vibing really well and you kind of see them operating at their peak and they can really present themselves awfully well. No matter when you catch them, they are the same person through and through. It's a pattern that you see shown throughout their lives. And he starts with a story at the beginning of the book to really illustrate kind of idea of what this looks like. So January 15th, 2009, flight 1549, heading from LaGuardia uh, Airport in New York to Charlotte, North Carolina. And a guy named Captain Chelsea Sullenberger III, better known as Sully, he became, became famous and known as, uh, he does his pre-flight checks, those were fine, and they took off without a hitch just like normal. But two minutes into the flight, they hit a flock of geese and it took the engines out. So the engines are not working two minutes into this flight. And so he had several options in that moment if he was going to try to salvage this, you know, horrible situation that every, anyone who flies on a plane is like, you know, worried might happen to them, right? He could try to crash land on the New Jersey Turnpike, or he could try to turn and make it back to an airport, but they probably weren't going to make it that far just gliding. Or he could try to land it on the Hudson River, okay? And... and there are split seconds to make this decision. Their lives hung in the balance. And any small mistake is obviously going to be disastrous. It's already a disastrous situation. Anyway, it's going to be a miracle if they can figure this out. And many small things have to happen in order to make that third option of landing it in the Hudson River uh, possible. Okay? You had to get the right speed. You have to get the nose of the plane at the right angle. You have to disconnect the autopilot. You have to guide the plane toward the river and doing it all with, without some of the systems you might normally have on the plane. Right? And he did it. Sully was able to, to make it happen. And this was a really big deal when it happened. I don't know how many of you remember this. Some of you were probably really young, uh, which is kind of weird to think uh, about. Um, and it was all over the news and actually made a movie about it with Tom Hanks starring. I never saw it because I knew the ending. It kind of felt redundant at that point to watch a movie about this thing that was all over the news. But uh, it was a big deal. So, so maybe you remember it. I think, and so, so in the book, N.T. Wright asks, like, well, how did this happen? Okay, well, there weren't rules to follow. Like, he didn't have time to pull out the book that said, what do you do when a flock of geese hits your, uh, your plane engine two minutes into a flight and you happen to be over the Hudson River, right? That was not an option right there. Uh, there was no, you know, time to check even to see if there were rules, right? He wasn't just following his heart necessarily there, or feelings, and there was no well-thought-out plan for him to use there, Right? What he did in the moment is who he was. Okay, the whole world was able to see the fruit of who this person was coming out in that moment. Fruit like self-control, level-headedness, hopefulness, really, hopefulness even. Just think about how important that was in the moment, the hope that we could figure this out somehow and we got to find the best path to save all these people. And this all came from what he was, his character, and the, thing, the things that he'd learned, the things that he'd done his whole life, 
that kind of bursting organically out of him like fruit in that moment, right? In the worst possible moment you could think of, this is what bubbled out of him. And it shows like a, what his character was, who he was deep down in that moment. And I think that's helpful for us to think about what we're talking about when we talk about character or fruit, okay? And examining this matters for us as Christians because we might be good at rules. Like some Christians are really good at rules, right? We might be good at knowing things. Some Christians are really good at knowing things, right? Some people might be really good at understanding their feelings and processing through them, okay? But what comes out of you when the plane engines are out, okay? What, when you're not able to, like, present an image of yourself to someone, whether it's on social media or in person, right? When there's not a rule book, when there's not time to plan, when it doesn't matter what you know or what you, you know, think or what you say, but who you are, right, when the world seems to fall apart around us, like what qualities are people going to say characterize you in those moments? The answer to that question is going to be your character, okay? And this is a good place to start, I think, because, you know, these other things we might start with, like uh, feelings or knowledge or rules, like feelings change. Knowledge is incomplete. We can't know everything, right? Rules we can't trust always work because people can find ways around them. Like, you know, there are loopholes to different things you can find if character is not sort of keeping you from trying to do that. So I think character is a really good place to start. And I, I love this idea personally because to me, a lot of stuff clicks into place when you really start to meditate on it. So, for example, uh, fruit bearing, I think, is a way to sort of reconcile that tension that we sometimes feel between faith and works. Right, this sort of traditional uh, debate sometimes we have as Christians about like should we be doing right things or just rely totally on faith? And if we just rely on faith, and does it matter? Not matter what we do. And if we rely on what we do, you know, what, what about our faith? Like you know, sometimes we can go round and round in circles on this. But like this is this has been a big deal in the church since the Reformation. But I think like if fruit is something that grows out of us by our abiding in Jesus then, you know, naturally good works are going to flow from our character, which is born of faith and grace without us even thinking about it. It's a way to sort of reconcile the tension if we focus on becoming certain types of people rather than being certain types of people who do certain things or think certain things, okay? It bridges the gap between them and actually brings them together really well, okay? Now, let, let's dig into this more, though, because Paul isn't just saying that you know, once the Spirit comes and we walk in the Spirit, we can just sort of ride it out from there. Okay? It's true. People will often find that when they come to believe in Jesus, that they are now capable, they find themselves capable of things that they could not do before, of loving or having self-control or peace in ways that they found they, that they had never experienced in their lives so far. But that doesn't mean we can just sort of sit back, you know, throw a hat and sunglasses on, you know, grab some iced tea and just watch this, the fruit grow without doing anything, letting the Holy Spirit do all the work, okay? Any good plant mom knows that's not how plants work, right? And so if we're relying on this analogy that Paul has given us, it makes sense for us to kind of think about it a little bit deeper. Again, gardening is the analogy here. And, and in, the, in the book I've been talking about here, uh, N.T. Wright says, these are the blossoms, okay? The Holy Spirit provides the blossoms for us. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes it possible for these fruit to grow in the first place. But to get the fruit, you have to learn to be a gardener, 
Okay, you have, to, uh, you have to keep working to grow them more and more, okay? Because think about it, this is how fruit works, right? You have to prune it, you have to water it, you have to keep pests away. You can tell the difference between a plant that, you know, grows some fruit a little bit on its own, but the people, you know, watching it aren't really doing any work for it versus someone who is actually really intentional with their plant growing. Like, the fruit is going to typically look different on those two types of plants. And so I want us to spend the rest of the time today digging into what it means to be gardeners of the fruit of the Spirit in ourselves. Now, this is definitely not exhaustive, okay? Just spoiler warning, okay? I'm not going to get into everything on this. I want to just give you a couple places to start. Um, And I also want to point out that many of the practices that we have been talking about in this series so far, and we will continue to talk about, uh, contribute to this fruit, okay? I think it's all sort of connected. So, for example, we talked a few weeks ago about reducing our hurry. Well, that's like pest control, right? Kind of keeping rabbits out of the garden. We have a ton of rabbits that like to come and, and pick at our veggies in our vegetable garden, and like we have to do some work to keep them away so the fruit can grow well. Julie talked about reflecting on our emotions and, and, and trauma. This is going to help us untangle parts of the vine to grow straighter and healthier in our lives. And last week, Aaron talked about Sabbath, right? Sabbath is going to be water that gets poured onto us to really help the fruit have the environment to grow big and strong. So all these things we're talking about matter. Are they going to help with this stuff? But I want to kind of hone in on a few things today to talk specifically about other ways we can be intentional uh, to be bearing fruit in our lives. And the first is this, prioritize the right virtues or prioritize the right fruit. So any good gardener knows what kind of fruit to be looking for, okay? That's, I feel like a kind of a, you know, very, very early on, you should probably know what kind of fruit you're trying to grow so you know if you know, it's growing something good or not and they don't want to get confused. Like, I know for us, we have a bunch of basil that grows in our garden, but right away, I thought they were weeds because I didn't know what basil looked like versus weeds, okay? I wouldn't have made me a very good gardener if I were going around chopping all the basil down. Um, actually, I did mow a bunch of basil one time. It was on purpose, so, but and it's, our, our, our whole yard smelled like an Italian restaurant. It was really cool, but um, okay. So, okay, but you should know what type of fruit you're trying to grow and what type of fruit not to look for, okay? We need to know what kind of fruit we're looking for in ourselves to tell like, if what's developing is actually something that's healthy, that shows we're really abiding in the Spirit. So here's an example, right? This podcast has been really popular. I know a lot of people here at Res City have been listening to this, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, right? Um, and, and in other situations, I know people in the podcast talked about this, and in other situations that are similar to that, you hear other people say the same kind of thing, where you have like someone who's really gifted, a really talented Christian leader, and they fall because of abuse or something like that. Um, people often say things like, their talent outgrew their character, Okay? Now, in hindsight, it's like, oh, that's pretty obvious. But in the moment, the reason that it got to that point is because people were not able to sort of distinguish, well, what's good fruit here and what's, what's the bad fruit? Or what's the fruit we shouldn't actually be looking at as the main point of success or abiding in the Spirit, right? I think so many people saw the fruit of these people's talent, their, you know, their, their abilities to lead, their communication skills, and they sort of ignored these other fruit of the Spirit that Paul is talking about here the lack of those things. It kind of blinded them because they were thinking, well, we, we got this other fruit, but even though we don't see this other fruit here that Paul tells us should be growing, like everything's fine, and it wasn't. And they confused things like crowds and subscribers uh, to podcasts with the work of the Spirit. 
And in effect, it just showed, well, we weren't always great at looking, knowing what kind of fruit to be looking for. So when it comes to us, I think we need to have an understanding of what kind of fruit to be looking for in our own lives. And David Brooks, who's a New York Times columnist in a book called The Road to Character, has a helpful, I think, distinction between two different types of virtues, a way to sort of categorize it in our own lives. So he has these things called resume virtues and uh, eulogy virtues. A resume virtue are any skills that you bring to the marketplace that might lead to wealth, uh, fame, status, a great career. Eulogy virtues, on the other hand, are the things people will say about you at your funeral. They were, say, honest or loving or steadfast. All right? Those are two different things. I think most of us would say, and David Brooks says this in the book, that eulogy virtues are more important. We all think deep down probably that those things are more important. But it's the resume virtues that we tend to think about the most and therefore cultivate. Our leadership skills, our talents, whatever those things are, because those help us to get ahead in the moment. And that, a lot of times, is what's most important to us. What's right in front of us, what's going on in the moment, these resume virtues are going to help me get there, and so I can kind of put them ahead of these other eulogy virtues that are, at the end of the day, more important, which we'll talk about here in just a second. We live in a world that really greatly values these resume virtues. They they get you uh, attention, likes, followers, sales, clicks, results. And they fill churches, they fill bank accounts, they fill Twitter bios, they fill the covers of backs of books, okay? That's what we tend to be focused on. Now, the city of Corinth, the ancient city of Corinth that Paul writes a couple of letters to was like this too. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks, he doesn't use, he's not talking about resume virtues and eulogy virtues specifically, but he talks about the, you know, valuing these two different types of things in their midst because they were like us. They were really interested in those uh, resume virtues. And so in the, fa- and it's a very famous part of 1 Corinthians, if you've been to weddings in your life, there's a really good chance you've heard, you know, at some wedding this part spoken of, love is patient, love, of, love is kind. It's in that passage in 1 Corinthians. And here, when Paul talks about that stuff, he's contrasting love with these attention-grabbing gifts. Specifically, he mentions prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. Now, those are the kinds of things that would be easy to market and build a whole church around, prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, because they're kind of show someone who's very charismatic, right? It attracts people. It's something, you know, we often look for in our leaders. And so for them, it would have been like, I have the knowledge of God himself. You should follow me, because who else has as much knowledge as I do? Or I speak with power. I, I, I can prophesy. I speak with power, with the voice of God himself. Or, you know, when I'm around, the spirit is too. You just can't help but notice it. You see it in, in this prophecy or these tongues, right? It's the kind of thing that gets people excited. Now, Paul sees that these parts of the connection, he doesn't say that these things are not, you know, evidence of the spirit. He's not saying that, but he says that the Corinthians are focusing too much on these things. And he's trying to set them straight by saying, no, this is what you need to focus on. And so he says this in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So what he's saying is that prophecy, tongues, uh, knowledge, these are great, and you know, they're just like any other skills or talents we might have today, but they don't last. This is the point he's making. They don't last. He's saying God is bringing his kingdom 
through love, through faithfulness, through hope, which you'll talk about here in just a second. And that's the good news of the gospel, that God acts in those ways towards us. And so these, that's what heaven is going to be built of someday, because it's about what the gospel itself is. These other things won't be needed in heaven someday. They're not central to what the gospel is. They won't be the building blocks of heaven someday. And so they're less important to Paul. And I would say even going further, an unhealthy focus on these things, you know, because they get you prestige or, or power or acclaim, can actually create like rotten fruit or negative fruit, right? It can make someone prideful, conceited, like not humble. It can make you angry, divisive, not seeking peace out. It can make you competitive, having you know, a lack of self-control or kindness. It can make you really f- you have a lot of fragility to yourself, where if success doesn't come right away, you bail on it, right? not showing a fruit of faithfulness. Instead, Paul says, prioritize these things at last. And he says this in jumping ahead to verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. If we really want a taste of heaven, signs of power and charisma, they're great, okay? They're not bad. But don't get it twisted, he says. Faith, hope, and especially love is what we must become experts in because they will be what remain into heaven itself. They will be what is of ultimate value then. Heaven is not going to need your talents or skills. It's not going to need you to have a lot of knowledge or the ability to prophesy or speak in tongues or all kinds of things that are valuable in the here and now, okay? No, God is going to build heaven out of the things like love, faith, hope, justice, faithfulness, the the things that make up the gospel itself, the things that Jesus exhibits when he goes onto the cross and dies for us, okay? Those are going to be the things that make heaven what it is. And so we need to be people, if we care about heaven, who prioritize those things now as ultimate, Okay, so distinguishing between different types of fruit is really important if we're going to be good gardeners. Now, the second thing I want to talk about today is practicing it, okay, practicing the fruit of the Spirit. Now, people sometimes compare learning a new language, or sorry, learning character, growing in character to learning a new language. I've heard that multiple people say stuff like that. And it makes a lot of sense. Think, of, think about it like this, okay? If you ever meet someone from another country who's trying to learn uh, the, the language of the country that they're moving into, you'll notice that they're often trying to find people who speak that language natively to have conversation with, okay? They, and the, the reason is because it's more effective to practice it, to just get out and have conversation than it is to just stare at a book, right? Trying to memorize the new language, Okay, that's, that's good, you need to do that, but like, the best way to really learn it and to make it part of who you are is to get out and actually speak it with people. Okay? And that's because we as humans are embodied creatures. Our bodies and our brains, the stuff we actually do with, with our tongues and, and, and limbs, like, those, actually, uh, th- those actually are connected to our brains. Our brains learn by doing stuff. You're not just a brain on a stick. Okay? You are more than what you're thinking in a moment or, or putting into your brain. There's, it's just more, more complicated than that. And your normal day-to-day habits have a massive effect on your brain and how it operates. Okay? And there's, there's a lot of science behind this. Like we have these pathways and neuroscience of the brain. And when you're getting into this, and I am the farthest thing from an expert on this, okay? Let me just be really clear. But I, I know enough about this to, to say that there's a thing called neuroplasticity, right? And 
parts of our brains actually become physically enlarged when an individual's behavior regularly, regularly exercises them. It's kind of like a muscle. Okay, so when you do something on a regular bra- uh, basis, your brain actually you know, gets stronger in those areas and makes it easier to do those things over and over again. Okay? And so as we learn to connect various things, our brains record those connections, creating you know, certain emotions or responses in certain situations, both positive and negative. And so habits are learned over time by being repeated over and over, usually in pursuit of some goal. Habits can be triggered by a particular cue, situation, or event. Right? We're going to react in a certain way because of what our brain has learned to do. And they're, so they're often performed automatically, often with little conscious awareness and lack of a goal. So habits are persistent, too. Like Once they're uh, formed, it's really hard to break them. And that can be a good thing or a bad thing. If we're intentional, that can be really good. If we're unintentional, it can be really hard to break some things. Like, and negative pathways get formed this way too. This is like how addiction works. I think virtue and character traits, the fruit of the spirit that we're talking about, they work this way too because we are embodied. The things that we do, who we are, is connected to like this stuff as well. And so loving or, or being loving, or being faithful, or having hope is, at least in a sense, it's, it's learned, or it's expanded upon. I think the Holy Spirit does give us a measure of it, but we continue to learn to do it better, because that's how we work as humans. And so if we practice the fruit of the Spirit, the blossoms that we've been given by the Holy Spirit will grow fuller and fuller into larger and larger fruit. So what does this actually look like practically? Well, first off, just think about this. Observe that all the fruit of the Spirit, those things we talked about back in Galatians, all of those are things that you have to have a deep connection to other people in order to do. Okay, they're not the kinds of things that you can practice on your own. It's really hard to be loving when you're by yourself all the time. There's nothing to love other than yourself, maybe. Okay, you have to be, uh, you have to be around other people. And a lot of times you have to be around people who you might not click with easily. Okay, in order to really do this. So let's just talk about love, for example, which Paul says is the greatest of these things. Okay? Listen to how he describes love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. If you want to do love, like Paul is describing it here, it can't be shown unless you actually have opportunities uh, to do some of the things that he says love doesn't do, right? If you're not ever having an opportunity to like, keep wrong towards someone or get angry towards someone or like, not envy or be jealous of somebody, of not boast and not being proud, you have to be around other people, Okay? If we refuse to be around people who are hard to love, we will never truly learn to love because it's not love when you're around people that are just easy to get along with or nobody at all, okay? And this is a plug for the church here, okay? The church is, is one of the last remaining, I think, bodies in the whole world that brings people together who might not naturally get along, who have really, at the end of the day, one thing in common, Jesus, and says, hey, live together in unity and love for each other, even though you're not coming together because you all happen to have the same interest in movies or restaurants or something like that, right? 
That's what is so great about the church is because it's a place for us to learn these fruit of the Spirit as we come together with people we might not naturally click with easily, okay? And, and so, and this is going to be true of other things as well, right? If you want to learn patience, you have to allow yourself to be in situations where patience might be difficult. Don't hide from them. If you want to have self-control, you have to put discipline into your day to say no to some things and yes to others. It might be hard, okay, but this is the point of how this works is your body is going to follow suit. You will naturally follow suit as you put yourself into the situation. As you examine yourself in those situations, as you take time to meditate afterwards, to pray, to find silence, we're going to be talking about that in the next sermon next Sunday, asking yourself, where was I impatient there? Where did I exhibit impatience? Where was I not loving? How can I respond in more love next time that I'm in that same situation, maybe with that same person even, okay? And then ask yourself, how is the Spirit challenging me to respond now, okay? And as you're intentional through the Holy Spirit to respond in the right ways, your brain and body will naturally incorporate these things into who you are, making them characteristic of you, flowing out of you naturally, just like fruit organically growing out of a, a plant. Now, I want to end today by just talking about, like, why does this matter, okay? Uh, I, I, why is this important to us? Uh, you know, in times like we're seeing with, with Ukraine, let's go back to that, for example, we have to remind ourselves consciously that God does want to flood the world with love, with peace, with faithfulness, with his self-control. Uh, like, he wants to flood the world with these things. He wants the world to see, you know, as, to be a garden where this fruit that we're talking about is growing lavishly all over the place. Well, how does that happen? How is that going to happen? Well, God starts by coming in himself as Jesus, breaking through sin, hatred, evil, injustice, death itself, and introducing instead in contrast to those things, grace and hope through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Forgiving people of sin, setting them free from its power over them, offering them hope of a new future. But he doesn't just stop there, okay? And this is where the stuff we're talking about connects, you know, vitally to the gospel itself. God doesn't just leave it there. He, may, he wants it to overflow out of people as well. He wants to flood the world by having it bubble up out of people, now, I think we're all probably aware of this to some degree. When, when a lot of people today think about Christians or the church, like, they might not think of words like we've been talking about today. That might not be the first thing that comes to their mind, right? They often think of other things. Like, maybe they think of a political agenda or uh, protectionism. Maybe it's a pop, version culture of, uh, pop culture version of Christianity that's more concerned with extending, like, a brand than the gospel, uh, hiding things like abuse to avoid consequences or internal division. Really, just more of what they see everywhere else. Okay? We have to reckon with that as a church. Like, that's, that's how a lot of people think of the church, unfortunately. And a lot of us probably feel that way sometimes, too. And I think it's important for us, not just because that's going on, but at all times, like, to not let character and who we are be de-emphasized because people notice that stuff, even in our leaders, right? If we don't, you know, if we don't care about our leaders' character, like we just care about their giftedness, we just care about what kind of things they can get done, uh, you know, that's going to like have consequences. But if we're worried about being the type of people who grow the kind of fruit that we're talking about here today, like 
the world is going to experience the gospel in ways that it hasn't, okay? And if we care about that, if we care about heaven, we have to be people who care about this too, okay? So I hope that you can kind of see that. And, and as you look at yourself, you can ask yourself the question, like, how can I be someone who resonates and grows fruit strongly, not just for me, but f- for the people in my life, the people who know me, who know I follow Jesus, who know that I want to abide? I hope that we, we, we can take that seriously. All right. Um, we're going to take some communion now, and we're going to enter into a time of worship. Uh, if you didn't, uh, well, actually, no, we have communion in the pews. So in front of you, sitting in the pews, there should be a communion cup, um, and, and you should be able to find one there. Please partake in communion, where we remind ourselves of what we abide in. We remind ourselves of what makes it possible for us to experience this fruit. It, it only and finally rests on the death and then resurrection of Jesus, that we can have the hope that we can be people who also uh, exhibit the same fruit that Jesus came and showed us. The innocent one who, who, ex- who exhibited all this fruit, but yet still died unjustly to forgive us for our lack of bearing fruit and to make it possible for us to be people who do. Okay, so meditate on that as we, we enter a time of worship here. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and then the worship team will come up and lead us in, in that time. God, we, we thank you that you want to flood your world with things like love and, and patience uh, and joy and peace and faithfulness and kindness and goodness. Lord, we, we thank you that you, you, you desire to see that so badly. As, as a gardener who desires to see their garden grow lavish with fruit and vegetables and flowers growing all over the place. That's what you desire, God. We thank you, especially in moments like the one we're, we're experiencing and seeing now around the world, that that's who you are, God. I pray that we would be people who bear that fruit in our lives, God. Whatever that looks like in different situations, Lord, that you would help us to grow that strong so that we may make it be attractive to those around us to also abide in you, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.